Welcome to the Little Red Village podcast, produced by Little Red Fashion. CEO Jonathan Joseph and head historian Rachel Elspeth Gross are about to take you on a journey through the ins and outs of fashion, tugging at the threads of how it all works straight from the people who make it happen. Let's join them for today's episode. Can you guess what Mary Antoinette, Mina from Dracula, and Lucille Sharp, she's the sister in Del Toro's Crimson Lake, What do you think they all have in common? If you follow accounts on social media related to sewing or cosplay, you might know the answer, which is, of course, our guest today. Sarah, otherwise known as Lunar Rose Costuming, is a professional designer and maker who also, and I'm quoting her here, likes to sew her own gothic fantasy and historically inspired gowns and sometimes wears them to cool places. I'll tell you right now, it's an understatement. Sarah's not being self-deprecatory, and she's not fake humble either. It's just that she's more interested in doing her work than talking about her work, which makes sense. She has a lot of big goals to achieve, projects she wants to explore. And this is a woman who's already worn an 18th century ball gown that she built from the paneers up to Versailles. Sarah can make literally anything, and she absolutely does. She studied art history in college, wrote a thesis on costume. With a new project, Sarah likes to start from scratch, sketching silhouettes and fabrics. Her favorite part of what she does is getting to watch a piece of work grow from an initial idea, watching it come to life. She keeps a to-do list for her own projects and for her clients. Sarah makes everything from wedding gowns to painstakingly detailed character ensembles for conventions. If you have not seen her work, I'm certain that this conversation will convince you that you must. And, as always, there are links and images to entice you into doing just that in the episode notes. But prepare yourself. Maybe set aside a little time, because you're about to go down a bespoke rabbit hole of meticulous design. If you've ever seen how many inverted box pleats Sarah can work into 25 yards of blood-red taffeta, well, undoubtedly... You'll share Jonathan's and my fascination with her beautiful and complicated work. Hello and welcome everyone to another episode of I Can Do That here at Little Red Fashion as part of the Little Red Fashion podcast. I am your fearless leader, Jonathan Joseph, with my comrade at arms, Rachel Elspeth Gross, and our guest today, welcome. So today with us, we have Sarah of Lunar Rose Costuming. You probably follow her on Instagram and social media. She has a wonderful, wonderful collection of historic costumes that she's remade or cosplay work that she does, recreating gowns, costumes from films, from video games, from a whole bevy. Really interesting source material. She's also an independent maker. She takes on, you know, custom work for clients. And we're thrilled to have her here with us today to learn more about what costume design really is and how you get started. So Sarah, would you talk to us a little bit about like what it is you do in a day at work? Yeah. So since I work for myself and I take on commissions from private clients, I tend to juggle quite a lot of different tasks throughout the day. So usually in my morning hours, I'll start out, I'll do my social media and work on my content creation for social media, editing photos and creating videos. 
and communicating with my clients, which usually involves writing up business proposals and scheduling fittings and designs tailored to their needs. So there's basically a lot that goes into it that doesn't actually involve sewing itself. But once I get into my studio, I work in my home studio. The rest of my day, I spend working on my projects for my clients and creating patterns. I drape my patterns and working on sewing. And any free time that I have left over, I spend working on my own projects like photo shoots and getting ready for events and social media promotions. You, I mean, at least pre-COVID, you were very active with your travel-based work. Yes. I love your Versailles, for example, that Marianne Quinette one is, I mean, fantastic. It's amazing. <laughs> it's a fantasy. I mean, that's one of the things I think I've missed the most in the last however long it's it's been now is seeing all of these really cool people doing these really cool things. It's been hard yes. to not have those events to count on and look forward to. They really, really drive my creative energy a lot. Hopefully, hopefully we'll get to do things again one day. And you've made some beautiful masks I saw from that, that most recent thing. At least, yeah, learning yeah, how to turn masks into actual costume pieces has been like a special challenge for me. Like, how can I make this mask but make it art? So. Yeah. Oh, love to see some high fashion plague masks. You know? yes. <laughs> Absolutely. I love that. Oh. Interested to hear about your first costuming. Like what got you the costuming bug? What was your gateway garment, as it were? Oh, my very first costume. I was, I just dove right in. My friend was like, let's go to the Renaissance Festival. And I was like, Okay, great. I think I need to make a full Tudor gown, like a full Tudor court gown. And we both being, you know, the weird kids that we were, we were like, we were just going to the library and getting all the books we could. And I discovered Jana Arnold and her books and just dove right in. And that was my real intro to costuming was learning how to make a Tudor gown. And it it was oh by fire. It was messy, but you know, I did it. So <laughs> and Janet Arnold is amazing. I love those books. They're so helpful. I had a fantasy at the beginning of COVID I was gonna make myself some stays. <laughs> I got like sixty percent through, so I'm seriously impressed. <laughs> oh so you went to school in Scotland, is that correct? Yes, yes. I graduated from the University of St. Andrews for both of my degrees. How did you get from high school to college in, in Scotland studying museum studies, art history, I think? Yes, I, I, I got my undergraduate degree in art history and I wrote my thesis on early theatrical costuming, specializing in Erte. And then I did my postgraduate degree there as well in museum studies with hopes of entering into textile curation. Oh, but really? Yeah, I graduated at the height of the recession. So that wasn't really in the cards. I did a whole lot of internships, so many internships, and ended up working in antique and vintage fashion, and then worked some theater jobs, worked a little bit in film, and then I landed where I'm at now. It's always a journey. There's always never a straight line between two points. It's definitely not a straight line to get where I am. (laughs) 
It rarely ever is. It rarely ever is for anyone. Part of what we love about these interviews is the ability to take kids on that journey and let them see, you know, like you will, your passion, if you follow your passion, you never know where it will lead you. Mm -hmm. And I find there's often a lot of overlap between, you know, fashion studies and fashion history and, and art history. It's such a common carryover where you see so many amazing fashion academics getting their start in, in art, the broader art history world. I still use it all the time. Like, you know, I may not be working in museums, but I am constantly pulling out my old heart history books that I used in college and looking to that, you know, those paintings that I studied and always looked at and said, oh, wouldn't it be cool if I made that? And now I am. So that's kind of a cool, you know, it's a sidewind, but... It's kind of I think, cool. it's a, I think it's a through line. It seems like a through line. I mean, it connects you to that through your your journey. I think that's amazing. I studied English literature and art history, so I, I definitely feel for that. Because I think of romantic hair poets all the time and people are like, what? And just a, a random line will come out. So, it, you know, it finds its expression. Creativity yeah. is that. You can't keep a good creative down. No, <laughs> not at all. So the cosplay work, I know you've like won awards and you judge very fancy costume contest, cosplay contest. How did that come out of this? Was that an early thing that you've always done? I actually started doing it just to challenge myself to grow as a costumer and to learn more skills. You know, when you're doing a cosplayer, you kind of have to become a jack of all trades. You have to learn how to do everything. And cosplay competitions specifically you're judged on how many different skills you can achieve in one costume, you know? So you have to know how to do huh. props and wigs, wig styling and jewelry making, in addition to making the actual costume, which for me is usually, you know, it's always been sewn costumes, but sometimes those involve armor as well and armor fabrication. So, and I've done all of that. So at this point I've, tried just about everything and I feel like I have a pretty good idea of what I'm good at and what I like to do through doing all of that. Yeah, there's something very satisfying about like using hands to make something for myself when I have an idea in my head and making it like real in the world is like intoxicating almost. It's yes. a wonderful feeling. And I think that kids really have a similar desire. I think they're like us, they're just smaller, right? They don't necessarily have the same delayed gratification or, you know, the ability to just be patient. What kind of things have you learned in that sort of an area? Like, well, how do you, how do you keep yourself from getting too, but the red, for example, the crimson. crimson Thank you. Yes. How did you, you made that for you. That took you forever, like months, yeah. right? To put that all together, to braid the back of that thing. Yeah, it, it took a long time. It was, it was a three year long project that I kept putting down and restarting and putting down because it just, it was mind bending. There were just so many different details that I really had to take very slowly and not rush through that process. So that was definitely a huge learning, like turning point for me as a maker was just realizing that I could do this, but getting myself to the mental place where I could do it. It's like running a marathon. You have, like, there's pacing and like you can only digest certain chunks at a time. Otherwise you go crazy with long projects like that. Exactly. You know, we're for, very partial to red dresses. We're super biased in that regard, 100%. I have a big fan too. 
But, you know, for me, I, people often ask me, why did we call red fashion? And for me, red is the color of passion and the color of excitement. It is it, any art, whether it's fashion or anything else. If it's in your blood, it's in your blood. It runs through your veins. You get that visceral response to the things that you love. And that's really what we're trying to, you know, nurture with everything that we do here. And why bring professionals like yourself, you know, into the fold through giving advice that you wish that you had had when you were just starting out or you were a kid and you, you know, like imagine the what if of someone being able to tell you all those things that when you wanted to go to the Renaissance Fair and being like, this is what you, you know, this is what you can do. In moving through your career, you know, what advice would you give a 10 year old who came up to you and said, listen, I really want to get into costuming. What should I do? What book should I get? What resources should I, you know, look into? If I can do any activities, what are they? So to start with, I would just hope that this kid has access to, you know, a library and museums and to just go to them, figure out what it is that is your passion. You know, is your passion futuristic? you know, video game costumes or historical costumes or high fashion and just learn as much as you can about it and read as much as you can about it. You know, I was fortunate in that my parents took me to a lot of museums and that gave me the opportunity to really explore the things that I wanted to see. And I could go in different directions and you know, one of my early memories was going to the Kunsthistorisches Museum in Vienna and seeing the historical portraits and the portraits of Empress Sissi and her big white gown. And those were iconic moments for me. And so if you can go to museums, if you can, you know, go check out books out of the library, just check them all out. Like try as many books as you can and like just, you know, See what you like and see what's inspiring you and get a sketchbook. And but, you know, the, the end thing is that I didn't take, as I said, I didn't take a straight line to get here. It was a very atypical journey and it's OK to step back and recalibrate if what you're doing isn't quite working and try something else. And I've had so many failures along the way <laughs> to get here and but i you know i've learned a lot from those experiences and so like what i would tell my 10 year old self is to say you know you're gonna fail probably a lot more than you want to but just take each of those failures and learn a little bit more from them because eventually you're gonna get where you want to go you know like for me i had chronic health issues and those really heavily affected my outcome. Like I tried working in film and I tried working in theater and my health wasn't, I wasn't cut out for that. That wasn't right for me. And so like one of my things that I want to tell people is especially kids, especially if they're dealing with, you know, health issues or disabilities, it's like, there is a path for you. It may be a little harder along the way to try to find that path, but there is a path for you and it's not one route to get there. Right. It's not that there's a path and you can access it. It's that you can make a path and you will find the path. I know I live with a toxic cerebral palsy, so I 1000% feel everything you just said super viscerally. So that, you know, that's a big part of 
the message here at Little Red Fashion is that we're here to help you find what that is and give you the smorgasbord of options that you get to sift through. Because I think the biggest thing for me with children is just making sure that they have the biggest access to the most ideas to see which ones flourish in the the gardens of their minds, because that's really what it's all about. I just wanted to say there's, I like the attitude. I think that one of the problems culturally that we all have to like reckon with and deal with is this idea of one solution, one way. There's a right way, there's a wrong way. And I think the more you get to know people as individuals, you realize there's like an infinite kind of number of like success. There's so much opportunity for success. And you can kind of struggle. We all struggle. We all have our very roundabout kind of journeys, but it is, it's nice, I think, for, for children to see that this is not something they experience by themselves. So this is something everyone does in their in their own way. And, you know, sometimes figuring things out can be the most fun, which leads to the second part I wanted to say, you love your work. We can hear it in your voice talking about it. You know, it's, it's a fun thing for you. And having work that is Feels like play. That's the goal <laughs> for me, anyway. Um, no, we do that all the time. It's it's a wonderful place to get to be. I was looking through your pictures this morning on your on your Instagram, and I have to tell you, the Bram Stoker's Dracula, that green and gray, maybe oh. that dress. It's so incredible. You have a favorite skill. I was looking, and I saw like you do a lot of these really incredibly tight pleats in the back the bustles hit or whatever yeah. um, is that one of your favorite things to do I was guessing it must be that pleating but I love manipulating fabric and trying anything that I can sculpt out of fabric you know that's that's kind of just my ongoing personal skill challenge is to learn new ways to sculpt fabric you know it's a great medium to just shape things and you can do so much more with it than just sewing in a straight line or whatever, you know, there's just, that's, that's my, my favorite thing. I, I enjoy doing other things like embroidery and beading, but fabric, fabric manipulation is definitely my favorite thing. Where did you learn to sew? How did that get started for you? I taught myself. Really? Yeah. My, my grandmother was a professional upholsterer and my mother had a home economics degree And they both tried so hard to teach me the traditional way of sewing, but my personal learning style is very much the, no, just let me figure it out on my own. Like, and my mom was a saint for just being able Mm. to step back from that by the book learning style and just let me figure it out. And she watched me really like wreck a few garments in the process. she let me, she let me go for it. And I really appreciate that about, about it, about how she let me learn. But, um, but yeah, so I, I did pretty much teach myself because I didn't really respond to the way that she wanted to teach me how to sew. Right. But she did set me up with the things that I needed at least. So I'm grateful for that. Yeah. Yeah. That's tools in the space. And you know, that's a, that's a leg up and you were empowered to run with it, which is great. It's hard, I think. I mean, I'm a mother. I have almost five. I've been saying 4.75. She's going to be five in like two weeks. And it is incredibly difficult to not want to help them. And by help them crush their little, you know, creative dreams. And I, I, yes, I feel 
totally from your mother's perspective. And I probably identify with that on my own. I can teach myself something out of a book. And it's empowering to do so. I think that finding ways to let children learn the way that they are going to. Yeah. That helped me a lot. It, It was like, here's some cheap fabric. You figure it out. And I was happy to do that. But that was that was my my learning style. You know, some kids do better with more rigid, structured teaching style. But for me, you know, I was I was definitely more freeform. I am I am definitely on the freeform train myself, finally teaching myself how to sew. So that is a definite journey. That's awesome. So is there a favorite fashion designer that you have? We always like to ask about fashion books. We always need all of the books, all of the books. Yeah, I, I have, like I said, of course, I, I did I did do my homework. I have my gin. <laughs> so cool. They're so cool. They're the best if you can find them in your library or ask your library to get them. They are so, so helpful just for seeing how historical garments are made, like what the pattern pieces look like, what the shapes look like, what the insides look like. So, uh, you know, Janet Arnold books, they were invaluable to me when I was 15, you know, starting out making my first historical costume. I got them from my library. Also, I love Nancy Bradfield's Costuming mm. in Detail. This is also another book that it also has like really great sketches of just the themes and where the stitches go and like how things were detailed and how things went together. And so... Those are those were just books that I've had on my bookshelf for years and years and years, and I've just learned so much for them. And I still pull them out every time I start a new historical project that I'm unfamiliar with when I have to come up with a new pattern, you know, for a specific time period. That is what I pull off of my bookshelf. So how do you get a new project? That's a question. Do you have a process? Do you mind sharing that? From... How do people contact me or like? Well, either or, or both. Let's say you were going to make something. You finished something and you were ready to turn to the next. I understand you probably juggle projects. I know all of us who make stuff, you do several things. So you can (laughs) procrastinate by working on something else, if nothing else. But how do you, how do you pick something for you when you're going to do? It generally has to do with either checking off my grand to-do list, which is, there's always things on my, you know, one day list. And I have been trying, especially the last couple of years to check some of those, you know, lifetime to do projects off my list. But also, you know, planning ahead for events is pretty much what drives me on choosing my personal projects on a day to day basis. <laughs> so mm-hmm. Yeah, it's been a little hard in the last couple of years because everything's been a big question mark. If I already have fabric lying around in my fabric stash, I just... Oh, like, yeah, I saw that one garment, the the beautiful bluish teal with the Outlander lining. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, that... (laughs) Good eye. (laughs) Yeah, that's, that's stuff that I pulled out of my fabric stash and I just you know, put it together. I love that. I love the contrast. I thought it was, I thought it was cool. (laughs) (laughs) That was what I had in my stash. And I was like, hey, this is funny. I'm going to use this. It makes me think of, you know, a vintage cigar box where it's like really bright on the outside. And then you have this like very earthy interior and it gave me that sort of juxtaposition, which I thought was really fun because it should feel like play. And that's a great instance of work that feels like play, which is so, so important. 
Yes. And having a lot of fabric around is a great reason to buy fabric because then you have fabric around and you can just, I have a closet. I'm sorry. I'm laughing. I have so many, so many, so many supplies. It's a sickness. <laughs> this is the clean side of my, my work. <laughs> you guys see like the shelves and shelves and shelves of fabric and supplies. It's, it's, yeah. <laughs> I've no, I love it. to buy less though. <laughs> <laughs> I do. So if you had a client and a client comes to the project, can you walk us through how that, how that kind of process works for you? I know, you know, it's a little bit different from human to human. Yeah. It, it depends on what that person wants, but typically I just ask them a series of questions to get a feel for what, you know, what vibe they're going for, what silhouette, what aesthetic, what colors, how, how little or how, much detail they want in that piece. And then I will basically work with them to come up with sketches that they can choose the exact sketch that they want and I give them quotes. It's kind of just a flowing process and, you know, different people are different to work with. It just depends on the person that you're working with. And some people come in knowing exactly what they want. And they're like, I want this dress from this, you know, movie or television series, but people want to have something that's more personal to them. And so, you know, if I'm working with a bridal client, I will generally design something from the ground up for them based on what they tell me. Sometimes I like for them to have like a Pinterest board to show me kind of what their essence of what their style is. And yeah. then I work with that. Do you have a particular style or time period that you prefer? Like that's your favorite? Like when you get a client for that, you're like, yes. Mm, I, you know, and obviously, as you can tell from my Instagram feed, I love 18th century. I love yeah, I gathered that. <laughs> gathered. <laughs> I had to. I, it called me out. It called me out. I, I had to. <laughs> it's pretty obvious what I love. So uh, yeah, those are 18th century anything and late Victorian, like 1890s. It's just like my happy place. So I always get really happy when people want those things. Are you excited for the new HBO Gilded era? Oh my goodness. I am Julian Fellows waiting for it. Just, I'm so, so ready for that. I feel the same way. I am all about it. Like I need it to be really, really good. (laughs) Yeah. I'm positively optimistic is, yeah. is my, it's Julian Fellows. He never lets me down. No, no, it's, it's going to be good. I know it's going to be good. And I know the costumes are going to be amazing. I'm ready. <laughs> New projects. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So you mentioned bridal, which is something I didn't necessarily think about. I guess people, you probably get dresses for cosplay. You probably get people's recreations, you do theater work. You do all kinds of, of things. That's, do you have a favorite type of project, if not the era, when someone comes to you? Is it more fun to like try to make a copy of something that already exists? Or is it more fun to do it, you know, I, translate their image? Yeah, I actually really prefer to design things from the ground up because there's just, I, I just really love to design and to see that design come to life. And then you know, especially with like bridal clients or, you know, ball gown clients, seeing people try those things on for the very first time, it's like, you know, it makes you feel like a fairy godmother. 
And that's an amazing feeling. I love that so much. I bet. I bet. That's like, I mean, it's kind of like birth. I mean, you make it, right? It's real. You bring it into the world. It's, I mean, I bet you can make a really awesome ball gown, regardless of the air. Uh, and you work with friends. I mean, a lot of the time I see in your images that you're able to maybe go to the same events or collaborate on things. Is that something you've cultivated? Is that just happens to be people in your life? How do you, how do you do that kind of work? Generally, it's just something that kind of arises organically. If, you know, we're going to the same event or we have an idea of doing a project together, that's, it's just kind of an organic thing that happens. And it always is a lot of fun. I love working with friends on projects and making things for friends. Yeah. It's, it's very gratifying. Yeah, it's nice to have people around who share your obsessions or your... Jonathan and I could talk about weird fashion trivia for like 19 years straight. (laughs) (laughs) It would be... ...is is the best. (laughs) It it truly, truly is. Well, I mean, I've definitely been sitting on this question for a second, but I have to ask, do you have a commission that you've done that is like your all-time favorite thing you've made to date? Like something that you're just like, this is like iconic. Like this is my current obsession in that sense. Like it's your favorite commission you've gotten or strangest commission. I've definitely had some, you know, unusual commissions, but I don't know. I mean, I would say that as far as commissions go, I think anytime I do a bridal gown, it's just, like I said, it's like a fairy godmother feeling. And so those moments just really stand out a lot especially like when they send you like the live stream of their wedding and you see them walking down the aisle and you're like that was really amazing to see like something that I made and I helped you know I helped with just that's that's probably the most standoff moment I mean, that sounds pretty amazing. Get to, yeah, yeah, that's going to be such a wonderful feeling. She did many a wedding, and that's a great feeling. Wrapped that up by like a thousand, and there you go. <laughs> wonderful. So, one last thing that I wanted to ask. You mentioned you have a, a list of things, you know, lifetime goals. Would you tell us one or two things that you are absolutely going to make before whatever happens? You know, I've, I've been really fortunate in the last few years. I've made a lot of my dream costume. So it's a hard one. That's a hard one. I have a few cosplays that I still would like to make that it's just a matter of not having had time or, you know, opportunity to do. I the There's like that gown from the movie Ever After with the big wings and like the white gown. That's one of like my all time, like one day, one day I'll make that costume. So whether I make it for myself or for somebody else, like that's, that's a (laughs) (laughs) goal. I haven't thought about that movie in forever. Would it be easier to say what's one of your favorite things that you've made for yourself? That's probably, yeah. Yeah, yeah, my my gown I made for the Fetgalant at Versailles. That was probably my most favorite thing I've ever made because the embroidery had so many little personal elements in it and they were kind of personal to me and nobody else would know, but that was just probably my most special thing that I've done for myself. Would you describe it? Tell them like, where the inspiration came from. I think maybe our audience would not know necessarily the fact 
go on to, do you want to talk about that party and how that all? Yeah, so um, the Fête Galante was a ball at the Palace of Versailles. And I was really fortunate to be able to go in 2019. And I designed and made a big 18th century ball gown for that event. And I hand embroidered it for about six months leading up to this event. And the embroidery in basically featured elements that pertained to my Instagram handle, which is Lunar Rose, but that had a kind of a personal meaning to me. I did a bunch of pink moons on the gown for the embroidery. And yeah, so that was that was probably my most special piece that I've I mean, done. It's beautiful. We'll we'll put some pictures up with the <laughs> it's it's absolutely lovely. And I mean everyone wants to feel good about themselves. It's one of the things we talk about I think a lot when we have these conversations on this show is that regardless of what adjective you use, beautiful, handsome, you know, whatever, we all like to feel nice. And a costume is kind of like a literal embodiment of that, of that idea that you can put something on, you can change who you are for a second. You can feel like anything. That's, that's, it is very godmother. That's the perfect way. It is. It's like living your dreams when you put on something like that or when you help a client put something like that on. It's really incredible. Just people's people's faces and their demeanor changes when they put something like that on and they're just like, oh my gosh, I didn't know I could look like this. This is incredible. Like I look like a movie character. So wonderful transformation. Yeah, the power of fashion to literally, you know, bend reality around you is a form of magic. This is wonderful. I'm so glad we were able to talk. This has been so much fun. I really, really enjoy it. I love getting to talk to people about the work that matters to them. And it's so much fun to to get to hear these stories. So thank you for sharing them. Yeah, this was wonderful. This is a great episode of I Can Do That here at Little Red Fashion. For those of you tuning in, make sure you throw us a rating on your favorite platform and you sign up for our email list at littleredfashion.com. And if you haven't yet, definitely absolutely super duper go follow Little Red Fashion Co. on Instagram because we would love you to see this lovely set of shining faces as often as possible. Thank you so much for joining us today. Make sure you're following Luna Rose. If you're not, you're missing out on literally like Luna Rose costuming. I mean, let's be real. These gowns are gorgeous and I just love them. And now they just populate through my algorithm randomly and it's great. Well, awesome. Thank you so much. That's a wrap for today. Visit us at littleredfashion.com where you can find the show notes and transcripts of Little Red Village podcast episodes on the blog. And if you enjoyed it, give us a four-star review on whatever platform you're listening through. We're on a mission to empower the next generation and build a community of supportive fashion lovers, families, educators, and professionals like you to help creative kids thrive. Thanks for joining Jonathan and Rachel today. And remember, fashion is for everyone.